Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits into our lives. Hello, Patrick. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, <laughs> maybe a little busier than usual. How's the, uh, the production end there going for your new venture? It's awesome. I mean, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of little detail stuff to chase. You know, we're mm, still can only imagine we're still changing some layout things in the site. But, you know, the uh, the data that's supposed to be in place is there. And I went in the other day. So we're going to be importing uh, a portion of the RKP archive so that, you know, people's favorite posts, uh, mm-hmm. there will be ca- chaos and some of the others like that they'll still be able to see those. Um, Mm -hmm. But it does mean that we did this wholesale import of everything. And I had to go through and put all of that into kind of a back folder draft form. Uh, And I had to do it like 50 posts at a time out of about 3000 posts. Oh my Lord. (laughs) So, you know, there's a little bit of like stuff like that, but you know, every morning I get up and our developer has done more work and I look at the site and it looks more like I was imagining it would. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a pretty dynamite adventure. And then, you know, there's there's all my rapport uh, with Kush and he's telling me, oh, so and so is going to get us a piece on this. We've got this coming in. I've already received this. And it's like, holy cow, we're going to have a lot of content for people. And uh, that feels really exciting. No, that's good. Yeah. Content is good. Yeah. Uh, never mind the fact that like I've only halfway written two out of like six or seven things I've been planning to have ready. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't, I don't so, know, maybe some no-dos or something. Oh, little work. Maybe, yeah. yeah. N- no-dos is I don't recommend no-dos. I don't, <laughs> no, I, neither I do don't I. recommend it. I tried yeah. it in college and it was disastrous. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't recommend me and uh, and caffeine after 6 p.m. is generally not a good plan. I think I took it, and I'm not kidding, at like 2 in the morning. Mm. And yeah, so I was typing, typing, this is way back, kids, typing a paper. And it's, it was almost like I was tripping. So I'm looking at the paper, and all of a sudden the sentences and the words got really huge. <laughs> and I was like... Oh my God, the teacher's never going to accept this because like, <sighs> there's only like five words on this whole page. I mean, it was, like, it was delirious. Like, and then they got, I was like Alice in Wonderland I was, oh, and it was, um, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> that was, that was not, not a bright move, but you know, you're 19 and you learn, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. in Tennessee, we used, um, a, a, a kind of a first cousin to Mountain Dew called Sundrop, which had even more caffeine than Mountain Dew had. Was it like Jolt? Do you uh, know Jolt? It, Jolt it, was in. Yeah, but that's a cola. This was a, a citrusy, you know, neon green, right. antifreeze looking sort of 
type of chemical. Um, you still have the soft spot for the neon green chemicals. I see you sipping them now and then. Do you have one in your hand now? <laughs> you do. <laughs> I, I most days I per- permit myself a soda, and uh, my soda of choice is still Mountain Dew. That's they, all right. I can't find the the throwback which had real cane sugar in it, which I liked better. It tasted better, and you know. Whatever. You had a little white can at one point. I noticed yeah. that looked like an old timey can. Was that what you that's, were talking about? That's that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't been able to find oh. it lately. Um, hmm. And, you know, something's wrong when you're getting uh, when you're starting to care about who and where carry your favorite soda. <laughs> <laughs> we all have a thing. There's, 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 there's much there's much worse things. And yeah, you know, yeah. like. You're recording a show at the end of a long day. Well, it's not. It's not. You have you have three hours ahead of me, but it's okay. That's simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So we're going to get through the the rest of these little details and whatnot, getting the, sh- the site squared away. And then I will get to start focusing on my content. And, uh, you know, we've we've discussed it. And one of the things about our identity uh, that we're going to be working hard to kind of conjure and evoke for people is the sense of a weekly community newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm especially fond of the really kind of zany ones that you get in the small towns, uh, where sometimes the publisher gets off on a rip about something. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but I love, I love those community weeklies because they have personality. A hundred percent. They're not 100%. buttoned and- up. Yeah. That is, uh, that's sorely missing, uh, right now because there's not much out there at all. Those have dried up by and large. Yeah. Yeah. So our, you know, our intent is to do something that's got, uh, you know, a a little wiggle to it as, Mm -hmm. as well as being really inviting. Uh, we're going to be working very, very hard, you know, just like the pace line does. I want it to be able to speak to everybody. And mm-hmm. do so in an inviting way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you usually lead this off, if I recall correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I do. And uh, we have some listeners who are eager to get a few sciency training questions in before I pass the mic. I see. So I've, I've gotten a few of those. Uh-huh. So I'll tackle the one this week. It is from our listener, Quentin. And he says to me. As I come home from a short ride in 95 degree heat over the weekend, I was wondering why it is that heat affects people differently and how much our bodies are capable of being trained to adapt to it. I've never dealt well with heat, but after six years of living in Texas, I find I can handle it a little better than I once did, but I still have limits. 95, sir, would be a very reasonable limit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. True story. (laughs) Oh, Dear Lord, I get hot quickly and cool down slowly. If I do something active in the heat and get in the shower before I fully cool down, which can take up to an hour, I'll resume sweating after showering. You are on not alone. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot of a lot of people. That's one of the reasons that my husband didn't want to commute to work in the summer because he'd sit there and like uh-huh. soak through his work clothes, even if he took a cold shower, because his core is still just like trying to off, you know, offset heat. Right. So not alone. Your wife is, he says, my wife is the complete opposite. She gets cold quickly, warms up slowly. Getting cold for her can be triggered by things as simple as staying in sweaty clothes for too long. 
I know I've read about these kind of differences among professional cyclists. What is known about the physiological causes of these differences? Can a heat person train to become a cold person? Vice versa. Okay, there's a lot going on there, Clinton. <laughs> and uh, I, I have honestly written entire book chapters on almost every aspect of your question. So we're going to have to cut to the chase a little bit. But you are 100% correct. There are definitely people who will ascribe them cold themselves as cold people. People will say that they are heat people. Uh, especially when you're talking about endurance athletes like cyclists you get people who are like i don't do well in the heat i hate the cold uh that depends on a myriad of factors including age gender body composition what they're used to based on where they live expectation etc 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 there's a lot of factors that go into wow. how you respond to any given temperature range i can tell you that statistically and research wise 55 seems to be like a magical temperature for endurance performance, like anywhere in the fifties for marathons, for arm warmer weather uh-huh. is very good uh-huh. for, for endurance cyclists. Now cyclists probably, if I had to guess that, that research is done on marathoners. And as we know, runners never stop and they don't coast. Yeah. So yeah. they stay warmer, easier. I would bump that to 65 for cyclists. If I had to say if there was like a magical temperature for cyclists, mm-hmm. I would put it 10 degrees. I, I don't have a study to say that, but I, I would I can, put, I can appreciate why you would say that. I totally can. hundred percent because yeah. you, you, you are, your upper body is quiet and it's in the wind and you cyclists need a little warmer temperature to not be cold. I mean, it's well, kind of that simple. And velocity, uh, you know, that affects convective cooling. So, you know, yeah. you, the oh, faster that's true, you're moving, we cool yeah. off much more easily as well yeah that's why runners in the heat have a much harder time yeah than than cyclists do yeah another reason not to run see (laughs) and (laughs) downhill running is not as fun as downhill riding anyway that's not the topic at hand the topic at hand uh research is is really pretty well established that as you get older too so i'm not sure how old you are quentin but you say that you still have your limits and you've gotten better but whatever as we get older, we also get uh, less well tolerate. We, we don't tolerate the heat as well as we get older. That that is that's been research is, is really pretty conclusive about that. Like an active person in their 50s, 60s and beyond will be better able to handle exercising in the heat than a sedentary person because you have all the benefits of your physiology and the changes that you've made by being active. But you're still not going to be quite as well adept at, at handling it as someone younger because things change your your ability to offload your heat your core temperature gets diminished you don't sweat as well and your thirst mechanism becomes a little more dulled so those oh. things all yeah those things all conspire to make it a little harder for older athletes to handle the heat that's not to say they can't but it is it is harder mm. so yeah and also i think i i read that their vasodilation which is the ability of your blood vessels to dilate at the skin mm-hmm. that becomes a little more dull too. So you're not sweating as much and you're not the convection, you know, you're not just offloading your heat as well. So that said for people who are going from cool to hot regions, I mean, you asked about if you can adapt no matter what, no matter what your age, you can adapt. Generally speaking, you need to do that pretty consistently and every day. So you would need to go out. If I was going to go from Maine to Texas to do something, mm-hmm. I, I would need a week to two weeks 
every day for 90 minutes working up a sweat. Oh, that's pretty much what the research finds to be adapted. I mean, if you're going to race, if you're going to go for a ride or whatever, like sure. you can stop and put a bo- pour a bottle of water over your head. I mean, you'll you'll figure it out. But if you want to make true adaptations, those mm-hmm. biological, physiological adaptations take a week or two, nine days in one study. I saw one study. They did four days compared to nine days and nine days was like a sweet spot. Wow. But I mean, when you adapt your your sweat rate um, becomes you sweat earlier, you sweat less electro, electrolytes out, which is important. Your blood plasma volume expands. That's the watery part of your blood. So you have more sweat to produce in there. You can like shed more of that water to cool yourself down. You've got lower skin and core temperatures, lower heart rate during exercise. All kinds of stuff happen. Less metabolic cost of the exercise you're doing. Those are all the adaptions that you need to be heat adapted. And that takes time. That takes that takes a couple of weeks. And I can tell you that it works like it absolutely works like. When I was training for Ironman Kentucky, I knew that I was going to be out on course, especially the marathon course in the middle of the day. And I also knew that the race being held on August 31st in Louisville, Kentucky was going to be extremely hot. Yeah. And so my coach had me do all my long runs on the blackest blacktop I could find under the sun at two in the afternoon to guarantee that I would hit the heat of the day. So almost all my training was in the heat of the day, cycling, especially my runs. And by the time I got to Louisville, I was honestly almost unfazed that it was 95 degrees, 96 degrees for wow. the race. Wow. I w- I, those who had not done heat training, it didn't go so well. And not to be gross, but like, triathletes doing what triathletes will do at the pointy end of things people were were peeing you know on the run and it looked like maple syrup running down their legs so (laughs) they were not doing well in the heat so anyway yes you can acclimate yourself you need to take time and if you don't have that time hardcore people will do sauna training oh which Mm -hmm. which is a but it's a thing. even that, like, it is a thing. It's a thing on many levels. I mean, some people do it for health reasons or whatever. But a lot of people will do, they'll do their run or the ride, and then they'll get into a sauna and sit without hydrating at all. So you're sort of forcing your body to make those changes, those physiological changes. But saunas are not easy to come by either. Right? So <laughs> right. I have friends. I have a friend who... To compete in a mountain bike stage race early in the season where it would be hot would spend all of his winter training in his basement by the furnace in his full kit without a fan. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not recommending that, but but he knew he'd be going to a hot climate and he wanted to be ready for it. And in mountain bike racing, you are often not in the wind quite as much. Yep. You can be in forested areas. You can be where the, the air is very still and it's very hard to cool down. And it worked for him. So I am obviously not going to tell people to bundle up in a sweatsuit and trash bags and do jumping jacks in a sauna. Like I, th- these things can get dangerous really quick. My only point is that if you do know that you're going to need to perform in a hot area and you're not ready for it, you can do little things to adapt to it. And you should. That's, okay. My only point there. 
Likewise, you can adapt to the cold. Um, I will say I have not done this because I have a very hard time forcing myself to be cold. I don't like to be cold. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty good in the cold once I warm up and, and feel pretty comfortable pretty quickly. But I do not love uh, I do not love to be cold. There's been some I, I did a little research on this and there's been some really fun military research back in the Define 60s. Fun. This is fun. Listen to this fun research. You should volunteer. <laughs> where they had uh, where they had 10 guys hang out in a chamber set to 50 degrees without any clothes on for eight hours a day for 31 days. 50 degrees naked yep. eight hours yep. a day for a whole month. Yes. We yes. need to talk about your idea of fun. Sounds awesome. <laughs> they found that after two weeks, they stopped shivering so much, which is. That's delightful. <laughs> okay. After two weeks. Sure. <laughs> I cannot. I hope they were paid. I hope they were paid. So that's great. But I don't know. That does like that explains, you know, you see guys in Maine in November walking around in short sleeves. So, yes, you can certainly acclimate, you know, 50 degrees is not freezing. They weren't getting and they probably weren't wet, so they weren't hypothermic, but Sounds super uncomfortable. There was a more recent study where they had men, and I maybe I'm only men because women won't do this. Sit in <laughs> because they're too smart. <laughs> they sat in 57 degree water, which is like Lake Tahoe oh. or maybe the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, uh, for three hours a day for 20 days. Which uh, okay, and also I, terrible. I mean, I'm going to skip the why part and just ask, well, what what did they learn? What did that teach them? At first, the guy shivered like mad, which one would expect, because that's how your body tries to warm up. Uh, Mm -hmm. Their heart rate sped up to generate heat. Their blood vessels at the skin constricted, you know, which also keeps blood from going. It's the opposite of heat. Right. And so you don't want the blood at your skin. It's going to your core to keep you from dying. Yep. By the end of the study, their testicles had permanently tra- retracted back into their groin. That's a joke. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm oh, kidding. oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, these, these studies get so weird. I was like, what? <laughs> no, you're just like, oh, okay. Well, I won't volunteer for that study. No, I'm sorry. I that's, still won't volunteer. I mean, even if it's but temporary. Yeah, but my God, they probably retracted before they even got in the room by the end of it. Like a Pavlovian response, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Later, guys. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Going to my happy place. Seriously, by the end of the study, they had stopped shivering. Though their metabolite metabolism and heart rate still went up but interestingly their vessels their blood vessels at the skin were not constricting either so they were more comfortable they also said they felt more comfortable so they they got used to it cold exposure is also good for you uh it activates your brown fat which is metabolically very good for you it helps keep your metabolism high and keep people with more brown fat tend to be leaner and less likely to have certain chronic diseases so it's 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 kind of interesting and a little aside of all this that I find fascinating is that when you look at a lot of this research, when you look at sauna training, when you look at ice baths, when you look at contrasting, a lot of the things that people have done over time naturally in spas in different parts of the world, they're very, very good for you. The body, the body likes a little discomfort. Like we, we adapt and stay healthy mm-hmm. best 
when we let leave our comfort zone. And you can say that with cycling too, right? Like that's why high intensity interval training is so good for you. Uh huh. What's not great for us is always being in comfortable 68 to 72 degree, not being, uh, not ever being uncomfortable. The body does not do so well on that. The body does very well. If you make it a little uncomfortable, it doesn't have to be a long time. God knows you don't need to get in an ice bath three hours a day for a month, but cold showers for 20 seconds. But th- that is apparently quite, quite good for you. I, I, I have not been able to make myself do it. <laughs> but I live in a place where I do have winter, so I do get to be uncomfortable. And my house does not have air conditioning, so I get to be uncomfortable in that in that way too. But so mm. that's it. You can you can adapt. You can train yourself. You just definitely have to be purposeful and you have to be consistent. So there is your science lesson from Celine for the day. Have you ever like purposely kind of tried to get yourself ready for something if you knew like when we were going to go to, it was very hard when i was training to race the cape epic uh-huh. because we were training over the winter right and that thing is the end of march and it's south africa and it was it was impossible because we you know both my teammate and i had day jobs and we we couldn't go early mm-hmm. and just had to hit the ground running and it was a shock to the system there was just no way around it mm. Uh, I will say that when I was doing all of my training rides early in the morning and living in the South Bay where, you know, I would, I would leave for a ride. It would be 63. I'd get home from a ride. It'd be 69. Uh, and then that weekend when I would race, you know, like, you know, the cat three races would be like two o'clock in the afternoon, three Mm o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So People were laughing at me because I'm showing up for rides where everybody else is just in in shorts and a jersey, and I've got a heavier base layer on. I've got my arm warmers on. I've got my knee warmers on. I've got a vest on, and I would get to those races, and I wouldn't suffer to the same degree as some other folks. I, it's not like I was suddenly winning or anything. Uh, right. But, no, but that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely done things uh, to get myself you know, ready in one way or another, or like if I know I'm going to be doing some really cold, uh, rides, uh, or races, events, whatever, um, I will start wearing, you know, less, uh, to, so that I'm more cold when I go out there. That's Um, great. No, that's super smart. A lot of people don't do that. Like a lot of people, it's those, they call, you know, marginal gains, quote unquote or whatever, but it makes a huge difference. It's, it's the same, like it's, Training as you race or racing as you like that kind of thing mm-hmm. that so when you when you get there and you're like, holy crap, because you've always trained in the morning when it's cool and now you're racing in the evening when it's hot or vice versa, like you're saying. Yeah, it that that alone can throw off your game pretty substantially. Yeah. Who was it who was famous for always saying uh, train your weakness, but race your strength? Oh, I've heard that so many places. I don't know where it or originated honestly yeah Yeah. so that was one that always kind of stuck with me when i was trying to be a go fast type uh i would go out and work on those things that i really really sucked at um except not my sprinting so much because that just continued to (laughs) yeah well i mean it's the same kind of thing where i tell people like ride in the rain you gotta Mm -hmm. ride in the rain you have to if you are going to be doing any kind of full season of anything you're going to end up in the rain you have to know how to be comfortable with that and not to freak out 
and yep. not to get like all beside yourself when the elements are not favorable. Yep. Like all that stuff. Like it it's and it just I think in for me, doing that kind of stuff makes it no big deal. You know, I'll wake up and just be like, uh, eh, not ideal. But I've already I've been here. Yeah. I know how to deal yeah. with it. I know how to dress. I know the layers I need. And yeah, I get on with it. Yep. Yep. And yeah, and a lot of people, if you week, haven't done it, you don't make that. You can't. That mental shift doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I one of the things that I always tried to make sure I do. I, I I did early in the season was to get you know one or two days at least, if not three or four, where I did like five hours in the pouring rain, just went out there and slogged it out. And mm-hmm. you know I. I'm not the sort of person who kept such meticulous notes that I could say, Oh, it paid off here. But having those really hard, hard days on the bike definitely made every other day easier. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, it makes every other day easier. Yeah. yeah. The one that really, the thing that stymies me now is that if I do a ride of say three hours or longer here in Northern California, I may have to deal with a 20 or 25 degree temperature change. Yeah. And, and being, being prepared for that in terms of the, the changes in clothing and whatnot. I've, I've been a, an arm warmer, knee warmer guy for a very long time, but still, man, it's difficult. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to make those accommodations. That's another reason that gravel riding is so amazing because you, not that you don't have to make those accommodations, but you can have all these bags on your bike. (laughs) You can just stuff things in. You need another pair of gloves or you want that pair of gloves to change. You can do it. Just put that frame bag on there and you can have a whole wardrobe change. I mean, seriously, like people do it all the time, uh, Mm -hmm. especially for training rides. Like why not? Hydration packs. Yeah, but that's hard. It is hard. It is very hard. I find that in a lot of events where unpaved is like that, where it can be 30 degrees in the morning and you're just going to be cold. But it's going to as soon as that sun gets high enough, you're not going to want most of what you have on. Like people come with balaclavas. and I'm just like, take that off. You're not <laughs> going to want that in an hour. Like, let your head be a little chilly. But it, it is it is hard because you just have to suck it up and just know that. It will get better. This is as cold as you're going to be. It's going to get better. It's going to, you're going to get warmer. Yep. 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 Uh, yeah. And you know, funnily enough, something I've, I've held on to for years and years and years back during the era of bicycling before you joined the publication back when That's there was a the way back machine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mine goes yeah. significantly back almost, almost to the point of Kennedy. Um, so <laughs> I remember one of the editors and, you know, this was when there was the uh, office in Aptos uh, and, you know, all those guys, you know, the Santa Cruz area. Um, And there was some advice in there at one point about, look, if you are comfortable, if it's if it's cool weather and you are comfortable when you walk out the door, you are overdressed. I think that every time I think that every single time. And it's hard because. Yeah. The, the first those the first couple of cold days, like when you're talking about the adaptation and acclimatization, like the first rides are the hardest. Right. When it like November here, where all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, you're just not ready for that first 45 to whatever it is. You're not yep. ready for it. 
But it, the, the, yes, the the temptation is to just layer, layer up and then stand out in the parking lot. You're like, I'm so cozy right now. It, <laughs> that is you should dress like. I usually go 10 degrees cooler, you know, like. I I, I want to dress to to be, yeah, usually about 10, like 10 degrees. So if it's. If it's 50 degrees, then I'm wearing. No, that's I'm never mind. I'm messing this up in my mind, but let's keep it simple. You shouldn't you should be a little chilly when you start. Yeah, we're going to take a short break for our sponsor Shimano and we'll be right back at Shimano. We love riding and we know you do, too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, Show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, what is your poll? I bought a used bike yesterday. Wow. Yeah. I haven't purchased a used bike since 1989. Yeah, I'm going to say I haven't purchased one since 94. Okay. Yeah. So now... I need to clarify, this bike was not actually for me. <laughs> it was uh, for my girlfriend, Monique. Like most folks, she's had various bikes through her life, but she isn't someone you'd call a cyclist, per se. Mm-hmm. Since we began seeing each other, she's made some mention of being curious about cycling, and we've gone for some spins, you know, me on one of my bikes and her on her beach cruiser. But a couple weeks ago, she said straight up that she wanted to be more involved in my life and she wanted to start riding more seriously. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, okay, we can do that. And I can actually flatten that learning curve for you some. So we did uh, we did a lot of talking and there was one conversation where I said, "Okay, let's let's really sort through this. And I asked her about what sort of riding she wanted to do. What sounded like fun? What scared her? And so, you know, I was talking about, are, are you going to be upset by cars going by you on the roads? She's like, eh, I'm not so wild about that. Well, what mm-hmm. do you think about riding on a bumpy trail off in the woods? And she's that actually sounds really good. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And so, you know, as I asked more questions, yeah, we did narrow it down. She wants to be a mountain biker. Okay. Now <laughs> I'm in the bike industry, right? And normally I can buy stuff through my contacts at bike companies and I don't have to pay full retail. Uh, But that's not an option these days because uh, (laughs) 
anything that a bike company can get to the States is going to a dealer. Yeah. 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 If they can get anything to the States. Right. Right. So, you know, while discounts are really nice, they're really only an option when they have stock to spare. Uh, And this is definitely not that time. So I began looking for a used bike and I was adamant on a few things. If she was going to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you want to be a mountain biker here? Here are my lines in the sand. And I said, given the terrain of Northern California, i.e. lots of rocks, lots of up and down. Mm -hmm. I informed her that her bike needed the following items. If she was going to enjoy herself. Number one, 29 inch wheels were mandatory for rolling over rocks and roots. Number two, full suspension was necessary, less for comfort than control. Number three, a dropper post was also necessary because I think she has a pretty face. (laughs) And finally, it had to be a medium so that it would fit her. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I began scouring Craigslist, forums on Facebook, and of course, eBay. I'd run across something and I'd show it to her and ask if the price was something she could work with. And, you know, this is somebody who's never spent, you know, even a thousand dollars on a bicycle before. Right, right. So there was a, we might say a little shock to the system. A hundred percent. People yeah. have no idea. It, it, yep. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a friend here in town who's selling her $9,000 Trek fuel that is, you know, not even one year old. Uh, she's one of the Trek ambassadors. So mm-hmm. she got her bike. It either goes back to them or she buys it and, you know, right. blah, blah, yep. blah. Well, she's selling it for 4,800, which is a great deal. It's a fantastic deal. But you know, if you buy a $9,000 bike for $4,800 for your, for, for your first good bike, where do you go from there? <laughs> Everything else is after that's going to be a step down. Right. Uh, so, and that's pretty hard for a new person to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, mm, no, no. Yeah. And I was like, that, yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, I, you know, it was one of those things like I, I really only said it to kind of test the water. I yeah. figured she would say no. And I, I wasn't sure I wanted her to say yes, but it was a way to help frame that a little better. Right. So Sunday, uh, I ran across a listing for a Scott Contessa spark nine thirty. Mm. I love and those it, bikes. Yeah. Instantly, all the bells went off for me. Mm-hmm. I know the Scott line pretty well, and I really, really like their bikes. The name alone told me three important details. Contessa means it's one of their women's bikes. Mm-hmm. The 930 designation means it has 29 inch wheels because the bikes with 27 and a half inch wheels have model numbers that begin with a seven. And then the 30 means it's a few rungs down the ladder in terms of cost from the race ready stuff. This was a 2018 model, which mm-hmm. has more travel than those from a few years before. It's 130 millimeters of travel. Good. It's built around an aluminum frame, so it can mm-hmm. take some abuse. If you fall off and maybe step on the frame, you're not going to crunch it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it has a Shimano SLX group, which is a two by group, meaning it will definitely have gears low enough for pedaling up hills. Mm hmm. And hydraulic, not mechanical, disc brakes. Good. It also has a dropper post. Mm -hmm. And then it has Scott's twin lock suspension lockout system. I love that system. Thank you. I love that. Almost nobody does. And I just can't get my head around. I don't understand. I love it. 
Yeah. Whenever I've been on one of those bikes, I use that as much as I shift. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. If I'm pedaling, yeah. yeah, I'm in, you know, either completely locked out or nearly completely locked out or traction. And then once I'm descending, it's wide open and I can rip on those things. Yeah. I love it. Huge mm-hmm. fan. Um, and then, uh, you know, so it does mean that that bike has a whole <laughs> lot of buttons, levers and switches. Yeah. It does. It does a lot in the clock going on the cockpit. She'll figure I, it out. If I, if I recall correctly, it adds up to nine things that you can move around with your fingers. Uh, hmm. So, Fine. but you know, here's the thing. It's like, it's no rush. You know, we can go right. out for a ride on a bike path and just start getting her familiar with everything. Uh, now here's the bit that I think will be especially useful to anyone considering a used bike purchase. New, this bike went for $2,500. The seller was looking for 1800 I know that the the used bike market right now is really hot. So any amount of trying to haggle with the seller would yep. probably result in them simply going to the second person who contacted them. 100%. What I didn't know was what kind of shape it's in. Sure, the seller cleaned it up uh, a little bit, but how many miles are on the drivetrain? Does it need a new chain, a new cassette, brake pads? So... When I went to meet him yesterday, I brought along a little tool that Park Park Tool makes that gauges chain wear. The funny thing is, I didn't even need to do that. <laughs> After putting the gauge on the chain and seeing that it wasn't worn enough to require a replacement, I looked up and noticed that the tires were those originally specced with the bike from mm-hmm. Maxxis. Mm-hmm. I looked at the rear tire and I could see that all the little details molded into the knobs for improved traction were still there. Wow, this that bike, bike has saw no use. Yeah, this bike in all likelihood had fewer than 200 miles on it. Easily. Score! Yeah, easily. Yeah, so $1,800 for a $2,500 bike with fewer than 200 miles on it? Amazing! Uh, yeah. We had a little bit of a hitch when he wanted cash, and I thought we would just do Venmo. Uh, Which is kind of the same. Uh, directly into the bank account. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, you know, no withdrawal from PayPal required or anything like that. Uh, But while I was busy looking into, okay, how much cash can I get right now? He actually reactivated his Venmo account and then we were able to seal the deal. You know, I put Monique on the phone with them. They traded info. I sat there while he made sure that the the payment cleared. I mean, you know, I had a I had a fair drive because this was in the East Bay. Um, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I didn't mind waiting around 10 more minutes to let traffic clear. Uh, but you know, so much of being in the bike media is focused on the new stuff that we almost never talk about the utility of buying a used bike. Right. And it seriously continues to be just a terrific way to purchase a quality bike. So all that said for anyone can, for anyone contemplating a purchase, mm-hmm. here are a few things that I recommend. Okay, before you start shopping, establish a price range you want to work in. Make sure you know what size bike you need. And that's also something that may vary a little bit between brands. You know, someone's, someone's, what you may, you may be a medium in someone's uh, line and a medium large or even a large Mm -hmm. in someone else's line. Mm -hmm. So that takes a little bit of research and know what kind of bike you want. By that, I mean, generate as clear a picture of the bike you need for the riding you want to do. That means if you want to do gravel riding and it's rocky where you live, 
don't settle for something that will take a tire bigger than 33 millimeters. Mm -hmm. If you want a mountain bike, don't buy a short travel bike. If you want to huck that sort of thing. And if there are specific features that are non-negotiable, like a dropper post or 29 inch wheels, make a note of that. You know, don't, don't just go, Oh, it's close enough. Now, once you start shopping, I'll say that eBay and Craigslist allow for a surprising amount of search refinement, especially Craigslist. Um, you can set search criteria like bike type, frame mm -hmm. material, wheel size, suspension, brake type, handlebar type, electric assist and condition, and of course, price range. In my case, I stipulated between $1,500 and $3,000 mountain, 29-inch wheels, and full suspension. At that point, all I had to do was check frame size, you know, and yeah. And given the number of bikes that go up on Craigslist every day, oh, that is some scrolling. If you don't really narrow your search criteria. Right, right, right. Yeah. And like I said before, the used bike market is pizza oven hot. Don't wait to contact the seller. If you are looking on Craigslist or Facebook or something like that, get on that. When you run across a bike you're interested in, do a Google search for that model and that year. Most bike companies leave up their old sites. Mm -hmm. So it's possible to look at which tires came on the Scott Contessa Spark in 2018. Yep. If you see a bunch of parts on a bike that are not original to the build, and this is another reason to go and look at what the site, you know, what the spec on the bike was when it was released, mm -hmm. um, that can that can go either way. It can be good or bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Replaced parts mean that the bike has been ridden a lot, but it has also been maintained. A new cassette and chain are nice, but in the case of a full suspension mountain bike, you will need to ask how many hours it has been ridden, more or less, or like, you know, how many days a week for how long. It may be in need of new bearings and the fork and shock uh, may need to be serviced. That alone, you know, new new bearings and all the pivots. Uh, and a cassette plus a chain and all mm -hmm. the attendant labor that could be 500 bucks, you know, possibly even more. Totally. Totally. And when you find a bike you are interested in, see if you can't get some additional photos to help inspect it for wear. I'd say more and more people are really pretty good at about including some details, but it's, that's something you want, especially if you're, if you're going to have to drive an hour to get there, like I did, yeah. um, actually it was an hour and a half, but who's counting? Uh, <laughs> It's a curious thing that people who don't ride much won't usually do much to clean up the bike, but people who ride loads and maintain their own bike will make a bigger effort to clean the bike up. The Scott that I bought yesterday hadn't been washed or anything, wiped down a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, tires aired up, which when combined with the unworn knobs on the rear tire told me that the bike was absolutely in terrific shape. Hell, it still had the original tubes. <laughs> that um, was like a, maybe a buyer's remorse kind of thing. I'm guessing like bought it during the pandemic. Did he say why? But it would, um, they're, they're thinking of moving. They're thinking of moving East and uh -huh. uh, she hasn't been riding it lately. And it's like one less thing to move. Hmm. So yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I actually asked it what she'd upgraded to uh, even before I'd looked at the, the bike. Too right, closely. Right. It's like, oh, right. okay. Now, everyone has their own internal sense of how much to haggle. Mm, my I feeling right line. now, yeah, I, I don't enjoy it really. Uh, but my feeling right now is that with bikes being in such high demand, 
it's risky to lose a bike because you're trying to shave another $50 off the cost. I honestly enjoyed just agreeing to the price that the bike was listed for. Mm -hmm. Given what the bike is, it's a very fair price. And he got to go home really satisfied with the experience. Karmically, that does something for me. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. And then I drove away with a bike that Monique is completely stoked for. Given how much conflict there is in the world, I felt good about making a deal that was smooth as new pavement. Yeah. Uh, I've, and I'll say I've, I've had some unpleasant selling experiences uh, <laughs> where people just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And it's like, Oh, well, I guess I'm not going to be friends with him after this is over. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, what have I not said, Celine? What would you, Oh add? my God, you said everything. I don't, I can't imagine like that was incredibly thorough. I have uh I really haven't ventured into that market. Anytime I've bought something, it's been from a friend, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I have a very good idea of what the circumstances are surrounding that. I've never bought something from a Craigslist like that, like a bike from, from something like that, where it does require that level of attention and, and a little bit of research to know what you're getting into and what if the price point is fair. I 100% agree, like, haggling right now is just useless it, yeah. it's it's the there's bikes you just can't find them anywhere so if you find something that you think is awesome you might as well just go for it yep you know yep. If, if, if it's at all in your price range yeah uh yeah i mean i don't i can't imagine adding anything to that i did did she ride it yet uh that happens today or tomorrow uh, yeah yeah May, maybe later this afternoon yeah possibly um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, it's one of those things that like, we're not going to immediately march off into Annadel. You right, know, right. We'll, we'll go to a bike path. You know, I need to make sure that like the saddle height is set correctly and we got to do some flat stuff just so she learns the brakes and there's, there's stuff we have to do. Yeah. Just to get on a bike path. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I'm not seeing this as being something that just takes off instantly. I want us to take our time. Uh, I I'm hell bent on making sure that this is a pleasant experience for her. Uh, I need to make sure that I'm doing the things that cycling becomes a sport of her own, not just something she does with me. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a pull all of itself. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll do that sometime soon. Yeah. That, yeah. that is definitely a pull all of itself. Cause we've all seen the person that takes the new person and, there's a terrible experience had by all. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I may have dished out one of those back in the 1980s. <laughs> we, everybody's been there and it, it's not, it's not fun for anybody. So yeah, it is a good idea to definitely take, take time. Yeah. Make sure it's all done with in fun and, and without a lot of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. So, Flat ground initially, you know, mm-hmm. that way we won't have to do a lot of shifting. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I really, really am. And I, to see her so excited is pretty awesome. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Super cool. All righty. Uh, Paceline picks. Sure thing. I We went back to Jake's Rock this past weekend. And I saw that. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had had, oh boy, a mountain hardware tent 
that I got at a Moots Mountain Hardware press trip in 2001, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, way back. And the tent finally started giving up the ghost a bit. <clears throat> so it was like sort of time. And honestly, I mean, it was a beautiful tent. They make beautiful tents. But it was it was on the smaller side because, you know, A, it was from a trip and, and whatever. So given the whole situation where, you know, camping and bike camping is sort of like more attractive than ever, given our given our current uh, our current situation, we went ahead and got another tent. And I my stipulation was I want to be able to stand up <laughs> like that is the thing that just kills me, especially when you're talking about bike camping is like yeah. I might as well get dressed in the car. Right. Like wriggling around <laughs> and trying to it just like it's it's just a pet peeve of mine. It makes me it, it I just don't like having to, to not be able to sort of like stand up and get stuff on. So I we can't got, get jeans on if I'm folded in half. It's just the whole thing. And then and, and pulling on Lycra and your, your kid it's just such a drag when when you're like all hunched over. And I've done enough of that, especially like getting dressed in cars. I could live the rest of my life without getting dressed in a car. <laughs> and I'm sure I will do it plenty more time. But we went ahead and got um, a tent from Marmot and it was called the guest house. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> and it is literally like a guest house. It's got a front little porch that is screened in. It's got that you can put like it's almost like the mudroom where you come in and you drop your stuff. And oh. then you go into the main compartment of the uh-huh. tent, which Dave can't stand up. He's 6'2", whatever. But I can actually, <laughs> like, stand up inside it. And it's it, it really made the experience so much more enjoyable to have, like, actual space inside the tent. Where, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've done trips, like the last trip I did that we talked about, like, I was literally in a bike packing tent. So my bike was in the oh. middle of the, you know, of the tent. Oh, right. as, remember yeah. that? That's and then right, I'm like yeah. sleeping literally with my head next to my front wheel. Um, and you good don't times. get dressed in the Yeah, good times. Good times. Plenty of room. Really, really great to get dressed in there. But this, uh, <laughs> yeah, has like did four, like three different doors and it, the, the, it, it rained and we, the rain fly was fine and still has like ventilation. I, can't, I was very, I was very excited. So I, I'm all about uh, finding fun ways to enjoy the outdoors, as so many people are right now. And this is yet another way that I've discovered to make a thing that I do like doing even more enjoyable. It's like going that little extra mile and be like, okay, so what is it about camping that I don't enjoy? And I sort of pinpointed those things and we addressed them. Wow. Very cool. Um, Now, how, how cool did it get during the night? 50 ish. Uh-huh. Yeah, low 50. Okay, so not super cold. Did, not super cold. I have a sleeping bag for that, though. Sure. Uh, okay, so I've got this ginormous Coleman tent, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a car camping tent. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's big enough that three or four people, maybe five people, or you could, go, you could go full mosh pit and probably get eight people in there. Oh, my Lord dancing dancing that's like a big stand- tent yeah yeah i mean like it came with a disco ball okay not really uh 
But you're the, saying that if it's cold, it's too cold. Well, what I learned back March of last year, I, I took it up to Mendocino County uh, to camp out the night before I did the fish rock race. And by yourself in this giant rave tent. Yeah. Yeah. It turns okay, out, that's fine. turns out it was a mistake. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Um, I also had a were sleeping, you, were you a sleeping bag for two. What? Were you freezing? Is that yes? Why? Yes, I yeah. was. I barely slept that night because I was shivering all night long. Every time I moved a little bit, I was sucking cold air inside the sleeping mm-hmm. bag, and I, you know, there was such a huge mass of air inside mm-hmm. my disco ballroom mm-hmm. that uh, I never heated up that right. air in there. And I had never appreciated the utility of a smaller tent from your ability to warm the air. That makes a hundred percent sense. Yes. This, this is not, you know, it's got a little, it has, does have a cathedral ceiling of sorts, but it like, it's not so spacious that we didn't heat it up. Cause I, I actually had that notion when we went in and I'm like, I hope, I hope the body temperature warms this thing up and it, and it didn't, it didn't indeed. Okay, but but that's a that's a very very valid point. Of course, the rainfly helps. Like if it's cold, you can sort of cover it up a little more. But right. yeah, those are those are those are good considerations. I I am not. I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not a giant winter camper. And if I was going to camp <laughs> in that kind of cold, I would certainly make other adjustments, like a <laughs> hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's one way to keep it warm yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i i can't argue the point yeah yeah i'm i'm not ready to like you know do the i did a sport or something like that oh god no no i mean i did i did a winter back packing trip one time in the adirondacks and it was cold it was 20 degrees it was cold Mm -hmm. cold and we stayed in a lean-to yeah it, it it, it was okay because there were like three of us just like in this, but one of those things where you like literally pull the tent up and you know, just your nose is like sticking out to, to just mm-hmm. get some air, but every single piece of you is wrapped in your clothing and the tent and blankets. And yeah. 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 It, camping in the cold. I mean, there's a real learning curve to that. Um, yeah, there is. And the last time that I camped in snow was in the early 1990s. And I, I don't think it's going to happen again. (laughs) Yeah. I don't mind like a little frost on, on the pumpkin in the morning, but I, I don't, 20 was pretty cold. 20 was pretty cold. It was a snowshoe backpacking thing. So that was pretty rad. I mean, it was pretty cool, Mm -hmm. but like a man getting out of that tent. And getting out of that sleeping bag or out of the lean-to, the yeah, I made someone else get that fire going. Let's, <laughs> let's just say that. <laughs> okay, yeah, I yeah. hear you. Yeah. Anyway, so, what do you have for us? In my poll, I mentioned that I brought along a little gauge that allowed me to judge chain wear. Mm-hmm. It was needless on this occasion, but still, I felt pretty smart for bringing it along. The gauge is Park Tools Chain Checker, model CC-3.2. Uh, it has two sides, depending on if you were checking a chain for nine or 10 speed drivetrains or 11 or 12 speed drivetrains. Uh, uh, you can, uh, the, the nine and 10 speed 
uh, drivetrains, the chain can tolerate more stretch before it causes a problem with the cassette mm-hmm. and starts wearing on it. So the chain checker is handy to have around whether you're buying a used bike or not. So keeping one of these things in your toolbox can mean replacing yep. only a chain rather than a chain and a cassette. Yep. I use the, uh, the, I use the, the side for 11 and 12 speed drivetrains, no matter what I'm checking, because the moment it slips into a link, I know to replace the chain. Uh, and that saves me the headache of, of ever needing to replace a cassette as well. Chains are cheap. Cassettes Cassette? are expensive, yo. Not so much. Yep. Yeah. I have I, been there. S- I have wrecked a drivetrain mm-hmm. because I, I didn't replace my chain. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Totes. Uh, yeah. And this thing is only 1095 so it'll pay for itself many times over the first time you diagnose a worn chain and replace it before needing another cassette. So yep. this is one of those things that, you know, you may lay your hand on it, what, three or four times in a given year? Uh, but it's just totally worth having. I was so mm-hmm. glad that I had it. I, yeah. Um, it doesn't come out very much, but I was thinking about it. It's like, man, I got to make sure this spikes in good shape. And, uh, it was just so funny that as I'm lifting the, the checker out, I looked at the tire and went, Oh, <laughs> that wasn't necessary. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, good stuff. And, uh, you know, most shops have them, but it's easy enough to order from the, the park site. Cool. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, by all means, keep the questions coming. Uh, uh, you know, the show's going to continue on. Um, that's true. Yeah. So if you've got an idea, uh, for the time being, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. <laughs> it's a transitionary period, folks. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll welcome you to the other site once it's up and we'll let you know about that for sure. Oh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.